You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. On today's episode, we're joined by Adam Tandes, assistant coach at Northern Illinois University. Uh, coach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Todd, John. How are you guys? Good. Awesome. So, Coach, you know, we, we like to do our, our homework on our guests, and, and we found that you had your bachelor's degree in nursing. So kind of take us through your story. We've never had somebody, when we look up their education, that went from nursing to division one basketball coach so kind of take us through how that happened sure sure absolutely so um man well starting off i guess both my parents are doctors my mom's a pediatrician in the northwest suburbs of chicago Uh, my dad uh, was in in internal medicine and neurology Uh, they were both already doctors in the philippines and then they immigrated they immigrated here to the states in 82 I was born in 87. My mom ended up continuing to practice pediatrics. And then my dad, my dad's, uh, you know, smartest guy I'll ever meet. He got his final degree from Loyola, Chicago when he was 45 years old and he got his MBA so that he could run my mom's private practice. So uh, I've kind of been immersed in the medical field my entire career, uh, my entire life. You know, my first potential career was uh, something helping my mom. I mean, I was either helping doing manual labor at the clinic or um, answering phones and scheduling patients or bringing vaccines to my mom in between patients so that she could, uh, you know, execute those vaccinations for her kids and stuff like that. So I'd always been around it. And again, just like, as I'm sure you guys know, being high school coaches, just 16, 17, 18 year old, people don't often know what they're going to do. Right. Uh, I was fortunate to, you know, not sure if you guys know this, but in the Philippines, you know, basketball's their baseball, right. Their national pastimes basketball. So um, my mom had an uncle that played professionally in the Philippines, yada, yada, yada. So and my dad was always a fan. I still remember kind of like sitting on my dad's lap watching uh, the 92 bulls blazers uh, series like that's my first vivid memory of watching basketball my dad was a diehard Bulls fan um, I wasn't uh, this is crazy I wasn't allowed to watch TV on weeknights but if the Bulls were playing I was allowed to watch I was allowed to watch the Bulls game you know so again I, I'm immersed in the healthcare world but then I'm also immersed as a, a Bulls fan and then my dad sending me to camps you know uh, put me on teams like trying to get me to play up and all this stuff so um, by the end of it, I was fortunate to play basketball for Denny's Alaska at Notre Dame High School in Niles, Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, in the ESCC, which is now the landscape's a lot different, right? But, you know, the Chicago land, Chicago Catholic, you guys know how that is. Like, um, it's, it's just in our blood. You know, I can't claim that because I wasn't any good as a player, but in terms of like the fandom, in terms of being around it, 
you, you had that, right? You had that love. Like if Friday night was a big night uh, to see what game you could you could play in. And then there was just a lot of local buzz while I was in high school. You know, I'm a year older than Derek Rose. Um, I'm the same age as John Shire. And John grew up 15, 20 minutes from me. So we're playing Glenbrook North every summer league. Uh, we're playing them in the regular season. And, you know, obviously the hoopla that surrounded him after he got a, a offer from Tom Crean at Marquette in eighth grade. Um, so you just naturally became a fan. And, but then I was still like, okay, I'm not that, I'm not an excellent player, right? But I, I took school seriously. I, I was fortunate enough to get into Marquette. The, my two best friends also wanted to go to Marquette because they had their older brothers there. Um, and it just ended up being like, okay, well, what should I do? My parents wanted me to become a doctor. And uh, I ended up entering the, a dual program, like nursing and pre-med at Marquette. So that's how, sorry, that was a very long-winded answer, but that was a long-winded answer to get us to the, the start of my fandom and then getting into Marquette and then why I chose that career path initially. But then there was no part of me as soon as I got there that really wanted to be in the healthcare world, like right away. And Marquette with there not being any football, basketball is it, right? I remember my first Marquette madness with, you know, watching Wes Matthews and Jarrell McNeil and Dominique James and going to that and, and seeing kind of how people embrace them and how crazy basketball was there. And then I started, gosh, what did I do first? I, I mean, I just played a lot at the rec for one, cause I still loved it. Then uh, the women, the, there was a women's club team that had formed um, the women's club team formed and they needed a coach. So I knew some of these young ladies. And so I, I started, I coached them. Um, then they wanted me to start the men's club team. So the men's club team had guys that like were walk-ons at Marquette and then had quit. There was a couple grad students that played division two, II, division three basketball. There were grad students at Marquette. So then I started coaching them. Then from the women's club team connection, that young lady, she had worked. The first person asked me to help and I'm indebted to her forever, but she asked me to go She's like, hey, you know, you're really into this. Like, why don't you try working at this local high school, do a camp for them? So I went, I connected with them. I tried to get in on the camp staff, but they didn't have any more camps to do. So then he's like, well, you can come in. I also run a girls AAU program. So why don't you come uh, check out the girls AAU program? So then that led into, okay, well, now, now you're showing up and doing everything and bringing Jimmy John's and laundering, you know, doing the laundry of all the pennies that we use. And it's like, okay, well then why don't you just start helping this team or that team? And then it became, okay, well, we're going to give you a fourth grade girls team. Then we're going to give you a fifth grade girls team, then a seventh grade girls team. Then I'm helping uh, varsity JV and freshmen on every game day. Um, and then that led to personal training opportunities, right? Which is like such a saturated field right now, but I ended up, giving lessons at the Marquette Rec. And one of those people, Rana Altenberg, vice president of communications, her daughter played in that club and was going to that high school. And she employed um, Brian Wardle's wife when he was the Dobo at Marquette after he played, she hired him, her. She is a soccer alum from Marquette. And she's like, well, let you really, you like this, you're passionate about it why don't we, why don't we see if uh, you can get on the phone with him and ask for some advice. And I got on a 15 minute call with coach Wardle and he's like, dude, go work camps. He's like, you want to get your name in there? You think college, whatever, go work camps. So I worked, um, gosh, I always was kind of inclined to um, the women's game, but I shouldn't forget my, my, my buddy, Luke Yannel, uh, who's the former varsity head coach at Hoffman Estates was one of my assistants at Notre Dame or he just got out of Hoffman Estates this past season um, but he had me work a five-star camp so I worked a five-star camp with him uh, kind of that before all this stuff and then um, fast forwarding again to the Wardle talk but I Wardle's like hey you got to do this and that was the one and only conversation I had with him 
Um, I ended up working a Green Bay women's camp, uh, DePaul, Doug Bruno, you know, the Doug Bruno camp. Um, Adidas hired me through the, through the, through the AAU team that I was helping. They hired me for a camp. Then, um, gosh, then uh, I'm trying, I'm, oh, then University of Tennessee hired me for a camp, Holly Warlick. And then I got to work one of those camps and that was a little bit later on, but so I kind of, I kind of was forcing myself to finish school. I did finish my degree. I never got my board certification, but I had the bug for sure. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the initial starting point for that. All right. So now I, I just got a fo quick follow up on that. Just a yeah. follow up. So Todd and I actually, we both came from St. Vitus. So we got our own East suburban Catholic stories. Uh, I'm all, I'm the head coach at resurrection in the city. So I know yeah. all, and Pat's Notre Dame. So yeah. I want a quick, whatever you can give me a fun memory you have from when Pat's plays Notre Dame. Cause I've been to those games in person and there ain't nothing like them. Oh man. I mean, we always complained. Of, I mean, like Mike Fahey, who's the AD now in Elmhurst at Immaculate Conception. He's my age. We always like would we play AU, some AU tournaments together and there's just a lot of jawing right back. Even now, like there was like Jersey Day at Immaculate Conception. We're 33 years old. He sent me a snap of his St. Pat's practice jersey. I said, you, you got to throw that out. I mean, that wasn't worth anything then. It's not worth anything now. Um, but there's there's obviously still that. And unfortunately for me, they were always on the right side of it. I mean, Sammy Maniscalco's a year younger than me. Uh, Mike Giller ended up playing baseball, um, Division One baseball at the University of Illinois. I mean, they were Edmund O'Callaghan played on a couple of NCAA tournament teams for Illinois Wesleyan, and he was really good. I mean, they were they were better. Um, but we always complained, like you know, we'd walk into the locker room and there's caution tape on the bathroom. It's like all the bat you can't you can't take a leak anywhere. Uh, it's like 80, 90 degrees in the locker room. I mean, obviously, usually unfounded, right? But just anything to complain about Coach Bailey and all that. <laughs> kind of stuff he's not gonna like this conversation yeah yeah but I mean again like I was not I was nobody to them so it, it was just it's just funny looking back and then you always were like oh man coach Yandel's gonna get teed up um whatever but where who'd you guys who who'd you guys coach at Vider when you guys were there uh, we who, were both on the girls side um, yeah we were oh my god now I was there five years ago Todd was there two years ago but uh we won when did, what did we make it to a sectional final Z when we were together? And then you won the sectional. We got was sectional final first year. I think. Nice. And then, yeah, after you left, we got to sectionals. Mm -hmm. nice. so, but yeah. Yeah. Maya, Maya Clark was there when we were there. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually recruited Maya Clark a little bit to yeah. NIU before obviously she picked SLU, but, but yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, in doing our homework as well, you're, you're obviously, uh, we saw that you're a mentor for the WBCA coach to coach program. Yeah. Um, you know, we just, obviously that's, that's, that's an awesome program, but we wanted you to kind of take us through what you guys do, um, to help young coaches and help them, you know, either advance or, you know, when they have stuff going on and, and kind of help them grow their, in their profession. Sure. Sure. Um, I think so. I guess it's a perfect question, right? Because it's a continuation of, it's a continuation of where I kind of left off in my first answer. But Rana Altenberg, Vice President of Communication at Marquette, when she was like, man, why don't you really pursue this? And she's the one that set up the call with Wardle. Um, she, she encouraged me just to go all out, just try. So my senior year of college, I actually, I, I counted at one point I applied for 86 jobs. I got, you know, mostly I, a lot I didn't hear from. I got a bunch of form no's. Um, and, you, you know, you get like the, then I got like maybe 10 people that reached back out because of mutual friends or something like that. I got three phone interviews, two on-campus interviews, and only one offer uh, to have a job. So completely lucky. Um, in the process, though, some people that I had reached out to cold called, cold emailed, I was like a little, 
and I won't name them, but I, I was a little off put by their reluctance to even have a, a conversation, a phone call with someone who was brand new and an outsider. Like I, I, I'm not related to, I didn't play college basketball. I'm not related to anyone in the NCAA, so on and so forth. So that's kind of been a theme in my career. Like anytime I can help another coach, I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to try to link people, connect people, answer questions. Obviously like time is very valuable. So I don't always have a ton of time for that, especially now, but it always, anytime I could, any program I could get a part of anything that I could do, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to connect people because I, I wanted to be that person that people reached out to that I didn't have when I was applying for jobs. So to the WBCA mentor program, I've been a mentor three separate seasons. This past year, I was not one, just with the craziness of COVID and really not sure who was gonna have what season and whatnot. But so basically any person that is fortunate enough to be selected as a mentor, you get to, you get to create your own lesson plan, if you will, if that's how you wanna call it. But you create your lesson plan, for me, I would do basically teleconferences. I would have one-on-one -on -one phone conversations with all of my mentees. Then I would have, uh, we would have a whole group, um, a whole group discussion uh, also while that would be like maybe once a month would be the goal. Then the individual phone calls that was probably probably once a month as well on its own. Then, you know, I would kind of create themes for the different conversation, kind of what you guys are doing for your podcast, right? Like one day would be all recruiting. One day would be all, you know, the best ways to support your head coach. You know, one, one day it was um, how do you navigate, you know, tough situations with players, like whether that's uh, someone with mental health issues, someone with problems at home, maybe someone who is a, a young adult who's also a parent, like how do you assist in those instances? But, and then I would add them to like, I, I send out, uh, I used to do it more frequently, but I send out a basketball newsletter. I'd send, I'd put them on the distribution list for that um, where I just share like leadership podcasts that I'm listening to X's and O's stuff. I see in a WNBA or an NBA game that I just put on fast draw. And then I share drills that I use that I put on fast draw. Um, it, it, a lot of pod, a lot of podcasts, you know, a lot of different things from YouTube and whatnot, anything to help. Like, again, that's part of my theme of wanting to help people like taking that stuff and circulating it out. Um, and through that, you know, then we'd end up sometimes meeting at the final four, uh, wherever that was that year, and then kind of having a more elaborate basketball discussion at that time. And it's kind of funny, like there's one young lady who was a, a mentee of mine. And at the time she was a video coordinator at a power five school. And now she's a division two assistant. And we had a kid enter the transfer portal. And then, so we called and, and chopped it up and you, I think they made the right decision by not, you know, um, uh, pursuing that recruitment, but stuff like that, it, it's kind of bled into different other opportunities. And some of those people as well, I've kind of uh, tried to help interview for different jobs, but in, to your initial question, no, we just, I, I formatted whatever was best for me. And I, I like to talk clearly. So I did it, a phone call, Zoom. Uh, that's that's kind of what we did. So I think building off of that, you know, you had kind of talked about in, your, in our opening segment of your answer, you know, about your career, you know, you've obviously coached a variety of different levels, high school, AAU, college, mm -hmm. uh, you know, similar to both Todd and I, but, you know, we're curious, you know, obviously the, the differences between the levels, if, if you want to talk about those, but, you know, there's always seems to be this rivalry, especially if you look on Twitter or other social media between AAU coaches and high school coaches, and they have disagreements and oftentimes they, they kind of don't respect one another you know, why, why do you think that is? And, and how do we bridge that gap? Because as we all know, there's good AAU coaches. There's not so good. There's good high school coaches. There's not so good. There's good, you know, so how do we kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, for sure. When I worked for Scott Witt in the Wisconsin Impact, and he's still the director of the Wisconsin Impact girls program in uh, the Milwaukee area, 
you know, he prided himself. Everyone that was on the staff was a high school coach or a division three or NAI coach. So his whole thing was again, and then like our kids were at the time, I don't know the rules now, but at the time there was like, you had to practice. Like he had a whole, he's a, he's a, well, he's an analytics guy, but he's a, um, he's an actuary by career. So he had all the numbers and all this stuff. So he designed some formula like, well, if you come to X amount of practices only, well, then you're only going to play in X amount of games or whatever. So we were all committed to that process. And there was a lot of local Milwaukee area high school coaches involved. So that was good. So to answer your first question, I think some of the best X's and O's minds I know are at the high school level. I mean, there are guys that I turn to um, and, and females as well, like in terms of like late game blob stuff, like uh, practice planning, like, when I was at Truman State, I ran a coach's clinic and we had Jill Nagel from Rockbridge who had been a division one assistant and is contending all the time for state championships in Missouri. And her approach to practice, practice intensity, how you train and teach while keeping things at a high level, like stuff like that. Some of the best people that do that um, are high school coaches. So first, there's a ton of respect on our end for me on that end from in, in that from that lens excuse me but i think the the difference between i guess aau and high school coaching initially um gosh that's hard to that's hard to really dive into i think aau coaches feel there's some of them that feel they do a better job but it's really a result of the amount of talent that they have, which isn't wrong. I mean, you're, you're right that you have a bunch of really good players and the game sometimes looks easier. You know, I think there's a lot more teaching generally, and this is again, not to say that AU coaches don't teach, but there's generally a lot more teaching at the high school ranks, I feel like. And then I think for me, I don't think I would have had such a great appreciation for my opportunities every day as a college coach if I didn't take the path of a high school coach. Because, you know, we're trying to, and Coach Gino Riema said this, so this, I'm not going to claim like I said at first, but, you know, we're, we're trying to teach kids who are there for extracurriculars who don't know how to walk and chew gum. We're trying to get them to kind of somehow be a vital part to what we're doing on the daily. Um, and that's okay that they don't love basketball, right? I think although the varying levels of love for the game also exist in college, for the most part, that's been my biggest joy is on uh, more consistently, we have kids that lo absolutely love the game and want to get better and help our program and leave a legacy and all those things. Um, kind of jumping around, I guess, but AAU versus high school, how to bridge that gap. I think there'd be more appreciation of if there was stuff out of our control that happened again, like are there high school coaches that are trying to be AAU coaches? Are there AAU coaches that also happen to be high school assistants? Um, you know, I mean, I've seen bad and good of both, right? I think we all have, I think there's a ton of good AAU coaches that uh, that run good stuff and talk about culture and have to work hard and, their personal training sessions are meaningful. And then you have people that say, we will practice uh, three or four times. And that, this isn't necessarily even wrong, but you know, we're gonna practice three or four times and you get to play in all the tournaments. So that's not how I would wanna operate, but I understand why. And I understand kind of the arms race that exists in AAU and why that happens. Um, and then I think just naturally people want, people, coaches of both want, their players doing and taking their stuff more seriously. I mean, there is obviously an ego component to that. Like I want you to value how we play the high school game more than the summer supposed to be your AAU team supposed to be your fun team, but like we're trying to win a state championship. And then the AAU people are like, well, I'm getting you a college scholarship. This is more important than your high school team. And so I don't, to go back to your initial question, I don't know if there's, any fixing to be honest i think it only the fork continues to lengthen fork in the road continues to stay there and the path in opposite direction continues to lengthen
All right, so I want to take it to the next level in your your time with the Milwaukee Bucks and operations. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which which if you're paying attention now, that's kind of even in college and, and pros, it's kind of a direct route. Not even kind of, it is a direct route into getting an assistant position. Um, yeah. A lot of those guys are transitioning transitioning right in. So if you could tell us some of the things you did during that time, and sure. then you know, some of the things you were able to learn being around professional basketball, maybe from the, the operation side, but also like, you know, watching those guys and in training and, and and the level that they're at. For sure. For sure. So all of that kind of knowledge that I'd say I gathered was more so from um, just observation, like, being in game operations for the Bucks, I had to do more like uh, things with the fans and the media. The coolest thing I probably got to do was uh, when Greg Jennings was with the Packers, I got to walk Greg Jennings around and then make sure he was at the, he was on the court for whatever like media cameo he was doing. Right. So I got to talk to him and, you know, whatever, share a couple stories, but in terms of, how that impacted my basketball coaching career. It wasn't necessarily by my, my direct report in that job was a basketball coach or someone who impacted the X's and O's on the floor. I, I did a lot of fun stuff, you know, when um, Prince Bamute uh, was a rookie, like we had to get him to some events, you know, uh, summer fest, some Milwaukee Brewers thing. Like we had to, we had to be at Summerfest when the dunk team was dunking and like some of that stuff. So from, I guess from that end, there is some promotional stuff that helped me when I was at the NAI and division two ranks. So when you're kind of a one-stop shop for everything, for like how to raise money for a foreign trip or a trip to Hawaii, and you're also trying to raise money for pink game uniforms and you're trying to be out in the community I learned some of that stuff from the operation, how a game day should go in terms of fan experience, media, social media, understanding how kind of when we didn't have media training for our student athletes at NAI and division two level, understanding what that looked like at the pro level, like that kind of stuff helped me be able to kind of be a sounding board for that. But in terms of the X's and O's training, work ethic, I think the coolest thing for me was understanding dedication. So whether the, whether he was healthy or not towards the end of his stint with the bucks, like Michael red, for instance, Charlie bell, like those dudes, when you hear about, Oh, Larry bird showed up uh, to the garden and ran, you know, laps up top and, and shot like four hour, five hour, whatever it is like the bucks, they didn't have the record to show it. But they had guys like Michael Red, Charlie Bell. They had those kind of guys that were that committed. They had guys that were showing up, getting a ton of shots, having people rebound for them. And they were the, – the, the routine was so specific. Like I got to work, you know, gosh, I got to work 20 to 30 home games a year out of the 40. And it was so – monotonous at times but they're doing the same inside shots the same mid-range shots the same outside shots then they're doing it you know off of flare reads out of down screen reads then they're doing it game speed then they're doing it contested then they're doing it you know then they're mixing in some of their fun stuff that like yeah, you see Steph Curry at the end of his warm-up throwing up from half quarter from behind the backboard. And guys like Mike, they're Michael, they're doing that too, right? And then also I got to see how in-depth they were at taking care of their bodies. Like, I don't think if I saw that, I would have understood how the approach should be for a college athlete now. Like, those guys are stretching all the time they're eating the right things they're getting massaged they're getting rolled out everyone's warm-up routine was different people are getting stretched at mid-court like all this stuff the way they took care of them how their ice taking ice baths after like the way nba guys do it to preserve that check and to preserve that career it it should trickle down in my opinion to lower levels. So you're kind of preemptively doing that when you're younger, 
so you can extend your career. Maybe you're a fringe pro and now you're a bona fide pro because you took care of your body better. Um, so in that regard, uh, it's so valuable working for the Bucks. And then also before Amy Egan, who I know we're going to talk about, before Amy Egan told me it's better to be 15 minutes early than 30 seconds late, the NBA guys, they don't mess around with that. Like guys are getting fined and guys, you know, Michael Red's chewing somebody out for not being on the court when he wanted to shoot, you know, like those things stick with me and like, Oh, they do it at the highest level. The only thing I will say, the one thing, the coolest thing I ever experienced, um, I'm on the, I'm on the Cavalier side for this one game. Like I'm down on the floor and LeBron James, I swear, other than dunks missed every shot he took in warmups. He went for 55. So that's the only thing that's not translatable. I mean, they're dudes that are like, he's, he's legitimately, he's been stretched. His body's good. He got his dunks. He doesn't care. He, he's screwing around, not doesn't care, but you know, he's, he knows he's in the zone already. And he's like, I'm, I'm just going to turn it on. Like right now it's, it's over. And it was, it was, it was unbelievable. That's the only thing. So you had you had just mentioned obviously uh, Coach Egan, uh, and you had previously worked with her. Uh, you know, recently she had finished as the national runner-up in Division Two. So, you know, we were just curious. You know, a lesson or two that that you had learned from Coach Egan. Yeah, I. Um, I mean, like I said, guys, I only got one. I only got one job offer. You know, I I, uh, I interviewed with her like May eighteenth. And she offered me a job June 16th. I mean, we're talking almost 30 days where I'm just like emailing her, right? Like guys like Luke Yano, um, who was at Hoffman Estates, like I said, like he's he he was helping me with different things and kind of like how I need to stay in front of her. But it was like, you know, I'm emailing her a potential practice plan. I'm emailing her like, hey, this is a, a letter I would send to professors introducing our players and asking for um, excused absences due to travel. Like, you know, I'm, I'm hitting her and we joke about Amy and I joke about it now. She's like, Hey, you stalked me. Right. And I said, well, yeah, it was the, it was like the one chance, the one sliver of hope, um, that I had to get a college job. But, um, so I'm very fortunate indebted to her. I think she does things the absolute right way. If I only had to narrow a couple, one, she, my first year as a graduate assistant, I want to say it was like a week or two into the school year. So in the NAI ranks, you are allowed to work out with players in the summer. Um, but our kids weren't there yet. This was Amy's second year at Ashford, my first year at Ashford University, which is now no longer. It got bought out by a, another school and they don't have sports anymore. But she sat the team down like a, a two, one or two weeks in and she said, guys, listen, in this program, you need to understand her words were because I had to look it up. I didn't know I hadn't heard it before. Recruiting is the lifeblood of any program, period. I didn't know that. I literally looked up lifeblood, but I, I didn't know that going in. I'm a, I'm a wide eyed, green first year GA that didn't play college basketball. So from then on, how meticulous, how energetic how we were always in attack mode recruiting wise was something in terms of college coaching that I will always take to this day. I mean, I'm 11 years in from the first time I worked with her and some of the same recruiting practices she introduced me to when I was a first year GA. Um, then the second thing, uh, I guess, Again, I'm trying to navigate because there's so many good ones, right? But I, I think just the way you go about your business every day is super important. Again, like if it's five minutes to when we're, if we're supposed to leave at nine and it's 8.52, for real, like 8.52 and one kid's missing from the bus, like this vein in her forehead, like started getting like really big and red. And it was just like, never be late. My first year as a GA, one of the alums came by for practice and we were, we were joking around and she was asking about the team and asking about me. And I, we were about to go into like a, some sort of live drill, like a five minute game or something, but I stayed seated 
while I was talking to that alum, like in between drills, and Amy, in not so nice language, said, uh, you need to get up and you should never be sitting down at practice. Again, I, I didn't play college basketball, so I didn't really know like where all that was, you know, necessary or, or what you should do, shouldn't do, so on and so forth. But just how she went about her business every day, running a program, the ins and outs. Of, that's a broad answer, but the ins and outs of that and how she did it with love and compassion for the kids. I will, I will take with me any job I go, I'll implement it to any program I am in. Uh, but she, honest to God, she's the best. I mean, uh, anyone that gets to work for her is truly blessed. Anytime she has an opening, I'm always, again, trying to link her with some of my favorite people, people that I know that she can trust and would work hard for her. And I'll always be a fan. I will always try to help her in anything that she does. And I will, I mean, I literally would not be a college assistant coach without Amy Egan. So. Yeah. And I, I think too, coach, it's, that's very true. I think we all got those people that without so-and-so interaction, we, a lot of us wouldn't be where we are. So let's kind of take it on the court. So you're the defensive kind of coordinator at NIU. Uh, so just a couple parts to this question. First, you know, take us through how you put together a defensive game plan. So let's say you, you got a conference game on a Wednesday, it's a Monday, you know, take us through how you kind of put that game plan together. Sure, sure. Um, well, I will add, so my boss now, Lisa Carlson, we coached against each other at the Division II ranks. She was at Lewis University while I was at Truman State. And that's where we got to know each other um, on our way, on mine and Amy's way to the NCAA tournament. We ended up beating Lewis in the conference uh, tournament in the uh, in the first round, I believe. And then we ended up going, winning the whole league and then going to the NCAA tournament. So we, we kind of, when I was brought on to NIU, the assistants at the time, one assistant in particular had kind of mentioned that they would possibly need some help on the defensive end. So, um, but currently now, I'm currently the offensive coordinator. So Lisa Carlson, like she does like the football style coordinator system. So Jane Stewart, Alexis Lawrence, they co-defensive coordinate now. But before then, yes, I was the defensive coordinator and gladly, I mean, near and dear to my heart. While we were at Truman, uh, Amy and I, our teams, we were, we were top 10 in defensive points allowed all three years that we were at Truman. Um, we, we would joke. We're like, if we can get to, if we can get to 65, 70, there's no chance we lose because of how, how kind of ingrained our system was in our kids. So from the top at the college level, I guess, from the top, you know, the first part is, are we recruiting athletes to fit our scheme? Right. Next kind of determining what that scheme needs to be based on league awareness. Um, we kind of got to tailor it to who we have on the roster and what they can do in our league. Now, to answer your question specifically, that Monday, that when we get to that Monday for the Wednesday game, at that point, my scouting report on Fast Draw, Just Play is another uh, software we used in the past, and now we use Fast Scout. My scout would have already been live Sunday night. So our kids could go on their phones, their iPads, and see what the defensive game plan was for that. At that point, I would have watched our opponent's last three games, and then I would have watched the last two games that we had played against them, regardless of the season. So if it was like, like if, it, if we're playing Illinois State and we didn't play them since last year game 15 or whatever, I'm watching that game too. Um, so I'll watch five games. Uh, then I reach out to anyone that will have play calls or that we can exchange kind of, you know, trade, trade uh, secrets, I guess, if you will, to how they defended this, how they defended that. Um, and then for me, the big things like when I go through a defense or a defensive game plan, I start with how do we need to defensively transition that day to start? Can we, can we crash four and send one back to protect the rim? If, are we going to say 
stay regular. We're going to go halfback, fullback. So halfback at half court, fullback all the way at the defensive charge circle, three, so six feet in the paint. Is that what we're doing? Or are we like, man, they're really athletic. They're really fast. Let's crash our five player or our best offensive rebounder. And we got to have four at half court, right? So that that's kind of where it starts. How good are they in offensive transition, offensive conversion, whatever your terminology is. Um, now we're lucky. Our graduate assistants, we have two of them at NIU. One of them's a big analytics guy. So we got we got all the stats you want. Like it's coming up on the left. It's coming up on the right. They're into this secondary. They're into this action. They're going to drag screen. They're going to double drag screen on a cross, a pass across the rim line before half court. Like we know all that. Like that's all graphed out for us. Our kids don't know that. Obviously that's, that's overload, but we know that. So I can kind of yell out what's going on. Um, but yeah, offensive, defensive transition game plan is first. Next, when I go into the half court, for me, the first thing I do is I identify the play calls I am aware of from previous games um, or from, from help, from uh, you know common opponents that are willing to help. Then I draw all those out, I label them. Um, and then I, then within that, right, then it's deciding, okay, we get a lot of, you know, the America action, right? We get a lot of cross screen, down screen. We play a lot of staggers into post isolation. What, what is our, what system do we have in place already that handles these things? And then what is our, oh crap uh, scenario, right? Like what are our, oh crap scenarios? Cause John is a tremendous three point shooter. Todd is an excellent skip passer are we ball pressuring that different? Are we trailing, chasing everything? I, I try to play it out in my head before that happens. Um, and then my next thing out of those off ball screen coverages, then I'm going into ball screens. Like how many ball screen actions are we going to deal with? They set flats, they set step ups, they set flip action. They're going wing, they're going step up on the sideline drag double drag i go through all of those progressively in my mind and then i'm playing that out in my head um and then i kind of make a determination or do we need to have specific calls unique to us for this game now that doesn't happen often but are we saying hey we're going in system or do we have to blitz and trap Todd off this ball screen every single time it's a flat in the center of the floor with floppy action coming across the baseline like there are some of those things that we get to do. Then that Sunday evening, right, going into Monday, if there's anything really unique, we kind of let our boss know. And then, hey, coach, what do you think of this? Then Monday when we meet as a staff, it's like, okay, boom, these are these are our drills. This is how much X's and O's walkthrough that we're going through of theirs. Um, and then we only do baseline, sideline, out-of-bounds calls and def defending them on game day. So that kind of stuff is – I kind of put some of that on the back burner. We rely a lot on system for that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think – I mean, if there's follow-ups to that, uh, I welcome them. That's kind, of, that's kind of where my mind's at when I build a defensive game plan. Well, my one follow-up is that you better you better blitz and trap me if I, if I'm coming absolutely you better, absolutely you better. That's my follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do have a follow-up only because you had now mentioned that you had kind of changes into the offensive side quote unquote as the offensive coordinator. So I I think that's so interesting only because you started in the defensive end, you know, and I think so oftentimes football guys will say, in fact, Brandon Staley, the, the head coach of the Chargers, the other day. Uh, was talking about how he grew up as a quarterback and now you know, as a defensive guy, he still thinks of the game as a quarterback. So mm -hmm. now on the offensive side, kind of take us through as you develop that offensive game plan, kind of that defensive mindset that you had and yeah. how that now leads to your success in the offensive end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> again, starts with recruiting, right? But to understanding like your boss's philosophy for me as an assistant is huge. Like my Amy Egan, like I said, we joked, um, we're going to play 62, 68 possessions a game. Now at Drury, she doesn't. Now they play a lot faster and they press and they trap all over the floor and they got player of the year. But when we were at Truman, no offense to any Truman kids, right? We, we had to, we had to play that way. 
excuse me, but my boss now, Lisa Carlson, polar opposite. If we can play 100 possessions in a 40 minute game, we're going to play 100 possessions. One pass out the floor, one pass up the floor. If you're open for three, we're shooting the three. So last year we had, I think five kids that shot over 37% from behind the arc. And then we had um, the league's number two, three point shooting guard who was six woman of the year. She shot 45% from three. And then our starting backcourt each shot 39% from three. So again, understanding that philosophy and we are the number one shooting team, three point shooting team in the Mac. So we know three point shooting is a ton of that, but to your, to your question specifically. Yeah. I, I think the offensive scheme is made possible because I understand I know where help is. I know where sync is. I know where your second sync is. I know how you're Xing out. I understand your different schemes in ball screen so that my job is again, self-awareness. What can our players do? League awareness. What are these teams really good at taking away? You know, you guys know that, you know, I don't know. I mean, Regina, for instance, maybe Regina, they play ball screens the same way. They hedge every ball screen. They return to their own. They tag on the backside. They return to their own. Well, okay. Like league awareness, like, I'm going to decide my game plan and what I got to teach kids based on I know what we can do. And then I understand what teams are going to try to take away based on my understanding of defensive principles. That's how I come up with my quick hitters, my end of game stuff, sideline or baseline. And then obviously, like any coach says, like stealing from, oh, they did a really good job of, you know, they tag with the opposite wing, not the opposite corner. Okay, well, then maybe I'm going to invert that flare screen when we skip the ball across the floor, whatever it is. But yeah, it, it's it comes from a comfort and a familiarity of understanding what defenses want to do. And if you guys couldn't tell, I, I, I love film. So like we're just watching so much film and kind of diving into that and be like, they literally, they've defended 300 wing ball screens in 2021. And every time I know the percentages of 75% of the time, this is what they're going to do. Um, the one time it almost got me, we're playing Miami this year and Miami of Ohio, and they went to the wall coverage. You know what that is? You help across the rim line. So they go, the person who low shows or hedges our guard with a ball in her hand, she sprints across the rim line and then they like bump everybody up. They help from one gap away. And it's a big European thing. And that's cool. But then luckily at that point, I didn't see it coming. But luckily at that point, we had worked on some of our flip action where we set the middle, then our guard brings the ball to the rim line, and then we flip it, we turn it into a step up. So I said, we're, we're just going to run away from the wall. So they bring the person opposite. Our, our all-conference guard had 31. I said, we're going to go to the step up and you got to make layups first. And then we worry about their rotation. They kind of went away from it. Then we got some skip threes. But again, yes, that that's a long winded answer again to understanding all these different defensive principles that help me formulate uh, what I want to do offensively. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm going to go way past oh, the you're, time. No, you're good. You're good. You're, you're talking right up my alley now. John, I'll tell you, I, I was the video guy at Viter, So as, as you said video, I'm like, this is Todd. Yeah. yeah, this is this is right up my alley. We, we always tell the story. I, I think we were playing uh, in the regional and yeah. we were we were calling out like the other team's place and their, their kids are looking down at me and John like, what are these guys what doing? They know our their coach. They are telling us what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're you're speaking my language here. That's kind of that's kind of my my niche. But yeah, but you it. mentioned next step here. You mentioned you're you're recruiting, right? You're, obviously, you're recruiting your players. Um, yeah. So I guess you know what is your your recruiting process and, and your evaluation process, uh, both incoming players and then you know you get a player you're done with this year. How do you evaluate them and go to that next step with them? Sure, sure. Well. Um... That's, that's a very, very uh, well-timed question because, you know, we're leaving on Monday and Tuesday to go out recruiting for the entire month of July, it feels like. But, um, again, to start the initial recruiting process, first and foremost, whether I'm new to a program or new to a staff, 
Uh, I think it starts with recruiting your current players. I think one, I want them, we want them to feel uh, uh, appreciated and loved and cared for and seen as even, because I've been a part of a couple coaching changes, right? From Ashford, that was the second year and they had come off of someone uh, prior to Amy Egan. Then we went to Truman, they graduated three starters, two 1000 point scorers. And then we have the best record in school history. Then I come here the second year of Lisa Carlson, same thing, we're still in the transit. They just had their first recruiting class and you're not weeding people out, but people, you know, they decide one year with coach Carlson and that staff, they decide maybe that's not for them. So then at the same time, you're trying to preserve what you do have that are positive building blocks on your current roster. So that first part always is a re-recruiting the current roster that you have, because, you know, we don't have a trade deadline. We're not tanking to get a first round pick. We have to squeeze everything we can out of the current kids that we have. And that's number one. Number two, really being uh, pliable, flexible, adaptable to, even if I had one necessarily recruiting a certain way, let's say, understanding exactly what your boss wants. So philosophically, again, the, the change of, oh, we can defend and play 62 to 68 possessions to know any post player we recruit has to be tall, long, and can run is completely different from leaving Amy Egan to go work for Lisa Carlson. So understanding what she wants, uh, or what your boss wants, I think is number one. Then in terms of that, then it becomes like the relationship process uh, in terms of finding kids. Um, you know, there's certain AU programs, certain high school programs that no matter what state I was in, what school I was at, I've recruited from them every, every year. Like there's been somebody that we've had on campus or someone that has committed to us or someone that we're about to recruit because of the relationship I had, NAI, Division Two, now Division One. Um, so just like I told you, trying to mentor people with the WBCA mentor program like that, I'm also trying to connect with high school coaches, um, AAU coaches, so on and so forth. Anyone that's willing to have a phone call, a phone conversation, and kind of, you know, not to build a genuine relationship. And if it so happens that seven years down the road, there's somewhere where they have someone that they would trust coming to play for us and playing for me, you know, you, you're not, you're not building their relationship in hopes of that, but you hope you did a good enough job treating people that they're open to that when that opportunity does happen, regardless of their current record um, or current situation. But <clears throat> in terms of I create a checklist, like getting to the nitty gritty of it. I kind of create like a checklist that we talk about as assistants. Well, okay, is she as athletic? Now comps are hard, I, co comparisons are hard, but is she as athletic as so-and-so? Okay, good, can she shoot it? Can she actually shoot it? There's so many kids that can't shoot the ball, you guys know that. Can she actually shoot the ball the way we wanna shoot the ball? Is she in shape or do we think she we can get her in shape, like legitimately? Um, and that has to do with running mechanics. I mean, again, someone just being maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier. Like, is that someone we think that if they enter our weight program and our practices that they can kind of trim down or if not trim down, play the way Coach Carlson wants to play, regardless of how big they are at that time. Um, then we really kind of more and more what I've learned, we're trying to take the competitiveness and the winning pride in winning, even in AAU, we're starting to really hone in on that in our more recent recruiting classes. Like when we talk about, everyone talks about culture, but when we talk about culture in our program, if we took the best player of every, a kid that was the best player on every team that she had played on and all their teams were mediocre, are we really going to be able to teach them how to sacrifice and be selfless and give of themselves to someone else for the greater good? Like, well, no, they've always been 500 and they're not sure on what that looks like. Well, can we convince them of that? Or are we better off seeing what kids put a premium on winning? 
And I think at the mid-major level, sometimes that's hard because you have kids that, well, I think I could be a power five or a big East or American conference talent. But if I go to the Mac, if I go to the Missouri Valley, it was going to be easier. Like there's, there's a lot of those kids, unfortunately. And we kind of got to sift through some of that. Um, and then it becomes a lot of communication. Like we talked to kids, like, unfortunately, like I didn't think I'd ever do this when I first entered college basketball, but we're talking to a lot of people that just finished their high school, freshman year, high school, sophomore year. We don't have any offers out to any freshmen, people that just finished their freshman year, but we're talking to them and we're in the get to know you phase already with a ton of kids. Then as sophomores, people that just finished their sophomore years, like, you know, we, we do have some offers there and that's, okay, are we, do they show that one, they're going to project out talent wise? And then two, what's their winning DNA? Three, are they also equally recruiting us a little bit? Now there are some, you hate to say it, but there are some players and some parents that know how to play the game, but you, that's something we got to sift through. You can't figure that out unless you talk to them. And we're, we're always in the process of well, we feel this is genuine mutual interest. So, okay, then we pursue. And then if it's real and it feels good and it feels like it could be a good fit, well, then we offer. Um, we're always trying to get kids on unfit. I think guys, and when, when the NCAA say you can have recruits on campus, I mean, we've had like 10 recruits, it feels like in 15 days, the last 15 days. So we're bringing people on, some we've offered, some we haven't. Um, you know, all different classes. We're just getting to show them what NIU has to offer for a student athlete. So then from there, it becomes, I watch a ton of film again on the kids. My boss, we watch a ton of live. So we'll be out in July, like traveling all over the country and splitting gyms and all that fun stuff. Um, and then uh, kind of developing really, what we're going to say to kids that is very, very transparent about who we are. I'm very proud that at NIU and at Truman with Amy, for that matter, like our transfer out rate is so low because I think we've done a really good job of what you see is what you get is what my boss currently always says. Like, if this is for you, you'll have that gut feeling. And if it's not, you won't. And we have made a concerted effort to just be very real about that. We talk about culture. We have culture talks once a week. We talk about social justice. You know, we had 19 social justice programming events put on by one of our assistants um, this past year. Um, we do individual workouts. We practice two hours a day. Like, and I tell them all the time, this is an Amy Egan thing, write it down. We're recruiting you. Milwaukee, Illinois State, DePaul, Marquette, ask them what they're doing compare it. Do, do you want to do this? Do you want to do individual workouts this way? Do you want to practice this way? Do you want to go on one-on-one -on -one talks with your assistant coaches and meet a lot and do community service? We're just really real about that. Like now, you know, you still have other issues to tackle with that, but we feel from the recruiting aspect of it in the process of recruiting, you know exactly what you're getting into with us. And I think that's helped us. And I think kids get here, whether they like it or not, it's not so much, well, I didn't know we were doing that. And that's why I want to do whatever, want to leave or transfer. It's never that. It's always, um, well, now that I've experienced it, you know, the few transfers we've had, it's been, well, now I've, that I've experienced it, maybe this isn't for me. And on top of that, maybe I'm not playing a ton or playing as much as I want. Um, but all of that for me ties into that whole process. So coach, as we move into our last two segments, the first one uh, we call 30 second timeout. It's a platform for you to talk about anything you want. Uh, you can talk about something you're passionate about, you know, an, a charity, an outside organization, a story from the season, something unique that, that's on your mind. Uh, but anything you want to talk about. And as we joke with our, the coaches we uh, talk to, it's not like the referees in your 30 second timeout. If you go over 30 seconds, that's okay. But uh, the floor is yours for 30 seconds, any topic you want. 
uh, I guess I'm really passionate about um, the oldest coaching saying in the book, right? I think players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think you can't be a, I think if you, if that's not the number one focus as to why you coach, I think you're a lot of ways doing a disservice to your players and the people you serve. Um, that's not, that doesn't mean any of those people are bad, wrong, or shouldn't be coaches. It's just my personal philosophy on, you know, if this was just about, I love basketball and therefore I'm going to coach, but it's not about getting you to be your best version. Then I think, then go somewhere where basketball is transactional, go be a coach in the pros, go be a professional trainer where it's get me to do this for me. And then I'll do this for you. And it's, it's that wash our hands of it. But for me, college basketball is so unique in that way because you're helping mold all these kids who are supposedly adults, but they're not really adults and, or they're not really adults yet. And, um, you've got to really, uh, be invested in that, I think, to actually do a good job. And if you're more invested in other things for yourself, I don't think college coaching can be as fulfilling or as rewarding uh, as it should be. All right, so we're going on to our last segment, quick hitters, kind of rapid fire questions, could be basketball related, could be I don't know. We asked, who do we ask about a zoo? We asked somebody about a zoo the other day, uh, last podcast. Yeah. So like, it could just be kind of be anything. Um, all right. So this, this is kind of a Chicago area, Illinois thing. Yeah. Thin, thick crust or deep dish pizza? Uh, thick crust for sure. For sure. I mean, depending on the day, Giordano's or Lou Malnati's, you know, that's, that's it. That's the move. Licky, we got to work on this. He's mentioned Fast Mono, Giordano's, Lou's. We got to get try to get some sponsors. He's yeah. doing a, coach is doing a great job for us. <laughs> All right, Coach. So you you obviously grew up in the back in Illinois, but you spent some time in Wisconsin. So Packers or Bears? Bears. Okay. We can keep them on now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you had a presentation, top 25 uh, things assistants do. I, I, I'm i sure I butchered the title. I, I, no, I had no, it on here, but. Yeah. But uh, what are your top three? Oh, man. Top three, top 25. Like now that's kind of evolved from then. But your top three uh, that assistants can do, one, you, you always got to find a way, whether it's hard or not, you got to find a way to support the, the administration, your head coach, the athletic department. I mean, that's huge, especially at college. I mean, number two, again, you got to be a relentless recruiter you have the lifeblood of the program. If you're not a relentless recruiter, you know, you've, you, you're going to do a disservice to the future of that basketball program. And then number three, I think you've got to really be willing to grind in terms of like what you like, Todd film X's and O's. You have to have a certain level of addiction to the game or I don't, think you'll maximize your potential as an assistant coach you can ask my wife about that she's what are you, what are you doing it's 12 45 well yeah. you just got home from a game well yeah. we have a regional we have a regional game in two days so exactly we're that out. exactly all right so you talked a lot about recruiting and, and players what is the number one or most common question you ask a recruit yeah um Number one question that I ask, or one question I for sure ask a recruit, I, I'll ask them to describe and be as detailed as possible to tell me how much they love basketball. I said, explain it to me. Like, explain to me why, why are we recruit? Why do you love basketball? And uh, the kids that are like, well, I don't know. Like, those kids usually fall off of our list rather quickly. All right, so this is one I'm kind of interested in. Like, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're in the 2020s here. Um, an emerging or, like, trending skill for assistant coaches. Something new, right? Something that's yeah. maybe more recent. Yeah, I mean, I think coaches that um, truly understand where useful analytics uh, can be implemented in the program is huge. And 
two facets. I mean, obviously in-game strategy, you hear that a ton, but then also it's not that new, I guess, because Moneyball is a little bit older, but that kind of, how do you assemble a team um, at your level that can kind of, what, what, what are those undeniable traits that you can usually figure out analytically that will help you compete and execute the X's and O's that you want to do. You know, everyone wants kids that are, oh, and on the girls side, you know, everyone wants a six, two really quick, really long kid that can help you switch one through five. Well, NIU is not getting those kids all the time, if ever. So what is the, what's your, what, what are your analytics tell you that you can see? And then there's so many statistical things that you can analyze because of how in depth, like film is from AAU and high school coaches now, or some people use like the huddle assist, right? And it's got all that stuff broken down. So then, well, what what statistical things can you number crunch and then watch on film to give you a feel and be like, analytically, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and for us, we track a lot of potential assists and we're starting to do that a little bit with recruits as well. Like kids that create the next open shot, like that's a big one for us. So analytics for sure. All right, we're going to finish on one that I kind of tweaked to finish because we've asked most of yeah. our guests, and you're an Illinois guy, and you played high school basketball in Illinois. So my question, shot clock in Illinois high school basketball, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, Coach, we this was Todd and I, we really enjoyed this uh, as we were going through the episode. You know, your attention to detail is second to no, Coach. Your passion for the game is second to no, Coach. So – we really appreciate you being on and joining us today. And we really did enjoy our time with you. Awesome. Thanks guys. I had a lot of fun too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the after the timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki for more show content and upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.